If you were here with us last Sunday, we began a new series we called Under the Surface, looking at how we can get things that are not easily seen. That down on the inside of us, God has put His Spirit, and there are good things inside the people that are around us, and God will use us to pull them out. We looked last week at Jesus at the well and drawing out of the water what the woman came to do but Jesus was able to draw some things out of her despite how it was that that conversation started there was a story that was told of a pastor uh, that he said when he was a young boy his family had moved into a house and they were just temporarily in that house you all know what happens when you're temporarily in a house you're going to be moving on to another house soon so they had moved all these boxes in and um, didn't unpack them because they were getting ready to move again so they left all the boxes there and the two boys were in the room and they heard a cricket. And so they um, disturbed them in their sleep in the night and it went on for a couple of nights. They kept hearing this cricket. And so they finally decided, let's take the boxes. There must be a cricket somewhere in one of those boxes. And they moved them all outside of the room. Still, they heard the cricket. And they kept them up and they weren't getting as much sleep. And so finally decided what we have to do is unpack the boxes in order to find the cricket and get rid of the cricket. So they began to unpack the boxes, but they didn't find a cricket. They found a smoke detector with a weak battery that was going chirp, chirp. See, sometimes we look for the source of a problem and we think it's the wrong thing. We go after the wrong thing. But you see, if you press into the Spirit of God, He will show you what the right thing is. This woman at the well thought her problem was a lack of water. When she got to the well, she thought her problem was that there was a Jewish man at the well. Then she found out, no, my problem was something different. She was able to deal with it. Let's take a look at that story again with the, the woman at the, at the well. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, this is John chapter 4, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Well, we covered more about this story before, but Jesus is there at the water without anything to draw water from. No way to, to draw it out. The woman had something to draw it out, which would lead us to conclude, most likely, that the disciples, even though it's stated that they went in to buy food, probably also went in to buy something to draw water out. You don't go into the Wawa in Jesus' day and buy bottled water. 
You, get, you have to you know, get the materials. And apparently, if they would have had them, don't you think they would have left them with Jesus? You know, just in case you get thirsty, here you go. So they're probably in there buying food, but also had to buy something for the water. But Jesus saw an opportunity here. Here comes a woman. She's got all the stuff we need. I would sure like some water. I mean, who has been tired that is not also thirsty? If you're tired from a long journey, would you not also be thirsty? And there's water in that well. I just can't get it. I know there's water in that well, but I just can't get to it. I don't have what I need to, to get to it. Here comes a woman. She's got what I need. And he says to her, give me a drink. And she answers in a, in a way that you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Have you ever had somebody respond to you in a certain way because you weren't of the same race they were? Whether you be white, black, whatever other color, Brother Naz, they're not here today, they're over in New York. He says, what, I like his phrase, what can brown do for you? <laughs> You're going to have to pick that one up. <laughs> but some people will respond because of the color of your skin, maybe the way you talk, the accent that you might have, and we used the example last time, we had the four different bottles of beverages up here and everybody picked one that they liked but what was inside was not what was advertised it was something different surprised them that sometimes you have to get inside of a thing to find out what it is but not everybody does that some people they meet you and they decide well you're this and that's as far as they'll ever go and this is what this woman was doing she met Jesus and she says a very racial thing now, for some people, this would have started a war on this. How dare you call me? How dare you say that? How dare you accuse me? And we would come out and do that. And how, how many of y'all know this would not have ended the way it did in the Bible? In fact, we probably wouldn't even have the story. Jesus didn't say anything racial to her. In fact, if anything, it was anti-racial. Because he said, can I have a drink? And she thought, well, Jews don't have anything to do with us. But apparently Jesus did. So, no, I'll take a drink from you. This is fine. She's not, not ready for that. I mean, she's, she's coming up. She can see a ways back. This is, there's a Jewish man at the well. No one's supposed to be at the well at this time. I come here because no one's at the well at this time. Here's this Jewish man. Now I not only have to deal with people that I know, I've got to deal with this Jewish man. I don't want to deal with this Jewish man. And on the way over there, she's thinking about all these things. And then they finally get the confrontation. I'm here this far. I may as well keep on going, get the water that I need. But Jesus says something to her she wasn't quite prepared for. Give you a drink. You, you, you want to ask something from me? What? Tell you what, if you want to get over some racial things that might be there between you and some other people, ask them for help. Well, why should I ask them for something? Because then they get an opportunity to help you. you know, it'll just change the whole course of conversation. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's a, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to do. Ask somebody for help. So he, he did. 
Now, Jesus' request was either out of need or out of purpose. I don't know which one it was. I sort of suspect he had a need for some water. But it may also have been for purpose. Isn't it great when you can have the same request be out of need and out of, out of purpose? How good is that? But either way, an opportunity presented itself. Now, when she said her thing, he could have reacted with bitter words, couldn't he? He could have been bitter to the words that she spoke. She spoke some words. He could have reacted bitterly to it. And this would have had a different ending. Wouldn't have gone down this direction. No one would have been helped. Everybody would have been mad. Jesus still would have been thirsty. I don't know yet if he got a drink. It doesn't say that that he did, but I don't know if she left the water pot there. I think uh, if Jesus, if she didn't get the water, I think Jesus probably lowered it down and says, well, I'll just get the drink myself. <laughs> I think either way, Jesus got a drink. But either way, here's an opportunity to present itself. You see, there's a reaction that we, that we can have with bitterness. I put this in your outline too. Or you can draw out of the water within him to speak words of life instead. So Jesus chose, instead of reacting to the bitterness in her words, he chose to draw out something from inside of himself. It takes nothing, folks, to react to people. It takes something to draw from within yourself and respond out of that. This led to pulling something else out of her because Jesus went down and got something on the inside of him. It therefore began to pull something out of the inside of her. That helped her. doesn't help her to just react. It helped her to pull something else out. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. I want to read this for you. Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes. But in understanding be mature. Two times understanding is mentioned in there. Do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes. Now the word here, Greek is very descriptive on their words for children. So when it says children, you're looking at a little, little one right here. And you know their understanding of things is not always 100%. You don't quite get it all. Yeah, they tell you about some how some things are working and you just kind of laugh at them. and, and Not out loud. But, man, that's cute. But he said, in malice, be as babes. Now do this when you're at home sometime. That's, last week would have been great for this. Mother's Day, you're sure there's some little baby around. Go out there and go over to the Walmart. I want you to find a little baby and I want you to just cut that baby up. You don't have to pick a baby that you know. Pick one you don't know. All right? Just go into the Walmart and just see that little baby sitting there and just say all kinds of nastiness about that baby. Man, you are ugly. Man, how ugly is your dad that you turned out this ugly? I mean, gee. What happened? The doctor slapped the wrong end? You wouldn't do that? No. What would the baby do if you said stuff like that? I didn't say the mom. <laughs> we know what the mom would do, right? <laughs> You're picking yourself up off the floor. <laughs> but what would the baby do? They just smile and look at you, you know. This is all right. This is cool. <laughs> you see, that's how you're supposed to be. In malice, be as babes. So here's what he's saying. When people say all manner of evil about you, just smile. Maybe cue a little bit. 
then malice be as babes. I mean, people ought to, when you walk away from a situation and people are saying stuff to you, the folks around you ought to say, you know, they were cutting you up. They were? Oh, yeah, yeah, they were putting you down. Oh, I didn't, I didn't hear that. Huh. Because in malice, be what? Be as babes. Don't hear it. Now, what would happen in your life if the people around you, when they spoke nasty things to you and they had malice for, for you, that you just smile and say, man, I just I can't understand that. Man. I'm talking a different language. I don't get it. See, you're as babes. Don't be this way with understanding. But when somebody comes to you and they have malice, you just don't take it to heart. How many times... Maybe, in a, well, we won't go to the, the last week. How many times, maybe in the last month, have people said harsh things to you and it bothered you for a while? Don't raise your hand. Just inside hand. It bothered you for a while. Yeah, why is that? Because you didn't follow the scripture. In malice, be how? So if somebody comes up, calls you ugly, what do you do? If somebody comes up to you and says something with a racial overtone, what do you do? What's the scripture say again? In malice, be as babes. Unless it's racial. Now don't, don't just think that in this country only one race of people get picked on. Or two races or three races. Now I might be a middle-aged white boy. But I've had some people tell you all kinds of, of things about me. Some of them because I was a Christian when I was young. When I was out in Oklahoma, I, they were just as white as me on the other side of the table. But their words were very cutting because I was a Yankee. Very cutting. In malice, be as babes. <laughs> That's what you got to do. I've told you the story before, but one person, I went out to sell him insurance, and uh, he, he goes to me, he says, where are you from? I said, Pennsylvania. He says, I told my wife you're a foreigner. <laughs> he was serious. He was not kidding. <laughs> he was serious. Yeah, you ought to see what happens to a, a, a white Yankee boy out in Oklahoma trying to sell insurance to people outside of the city. Yeah, I eventually gave up that job. <laughs> they uh, they're all just as white as I was. Didn't make any difference on the, on that. Don't think that you, well, that the only reason they're doing that is because no, that may not be the reason. But it doesn't matter because in malice be how it's babes. That's not my words, folks. That's the word of God, isn't it? If it's the word of God, isn't it wise? Isn't it wisdom to go against it? Is foolish. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be based, but in understanding be mature. So the same people that are supposed to be mature in understanding are to be babes in malice. Same people. Don't just be that way. If someone wants to call you names based upon what you are, what you look like, stuff like that, you don't let it bother you. You have to you have to get past that. Now, sometimes it's, it's, it's easier when people say malice things to us. It's harder when they say malice to other people. How many would have concurred with that? Yeah, it's a little bit tougher to, 
to do. I ran into this. I think I told you the story at least once before. I don't know if I told you any more than that, but um, uh, way back when Christian was younger, he, we used, he used to play on an intramural basketball league. And um, we learned early on the best way to have a handle on the schedule is to coach it. Because if I'm the coach, then they have to work around my schedule. If I'm a parent, they don't care. So I coached it, coached soccer, coached basketball for the sole purpose of we're going to make sure that this is run right. We're going to make sure that it doesn't, we don't get scheduled on Sunday morning. And so whenever I sit down and say, you know, they need coaches. You want me to coach? I can't coach Sunday morning. I'm at church. That's all right. That's all right. We'll work around it. We'll make sure that you don't have anything before 2 o'clock. I said, well, that'll work fine. So we, uh, we got around all that. But uh, we, were, we were playing. Uh, it was a summer league, basketball. And we had our team. And then there was the other team. We came together. And, well, summer, guess what happens in the summer? People go on vacation. And so there are a lot of times that instead of 8, 9, 10 boys on the team, you have 5. And you know how many it takes to, to field a basketball team? It takes five. So you're looking at no subs. Nobody can get hurt. Nobody can get tired. <laughs> and we are playing in the summer under the sun. No trees. Because there's no trees around basketball courts. Where have you ever seen a basketball court with trees? There are no trees on basketball courts. So we're under the sun and we're playing. It's usually in the evening, but the sun is still out. So we're there playing basketball and such. And we're playing this team. And um, uh, Angel was uh, had come down and... My son and her son, they just got along famously. They just loved each other. And it was the summer, and he didn't have anything to do. And we were going to see her again before too long. So he said, Mom, can I just stay? And so he just stayed with us for about a week until the next time it was. We were going to, I don't remember how long it was. It was at least about a week. He was just going to stay at our house, and then they would be around to play and just have fun and so forth. So we're going out to the intramural basketball game. And so I asked him, I said, look, we only got four guys tonight. If I take my, my guest and have him on our team, we'll have five. We can keep playing. And they said, ah, that's fine. Let's go ahead. Well, I don't know if you ever know Damon, little Damien. Yeah. Doggone, he's a basketball player. Man, he's a best. He is a good basketball player. He could play basketball with boys older than the team I had and be on their, on their par. He was, he was a good basketball player. So we got him on our team. Now, they don't know that. But um, I kind of knew he was good. I didn't let on about that, but anyway, changed the balance of power on the team. And so we were playing basketball, and we were having fun, but we were winning, mostly because we had Damien on our team, and he was, he was good. So we're playing, and um, one of the boys on the other team apparently said something that he took as a racial remark. Now, he was the only black player on our team, and he was the only black player on the other team. So basically, he was the only black guy on the court. That's it. And so he said something. I did not hear the person say it. He just came back to me. And when Angel found out, he says, oh, if I had been there. I said, Angel, I didn't hear it. I wouldn't even known that was a racial thing. Just, I, I, I wouldn't have known. But now I didn't know. And it seemed like this young boy who said it had a, an attitude against in that way. And it may have been just because he was losing, whatever it was. But you know what? I formed an attitude towards this young man because of what he said. And I just determined, you know, he's already had, he already had a label of a bad boy in the, in the league and 
I had stayed away from having him on my team before just because he was a, he just acted up. He was just a bad boy. So I stayed away from when we were drafting. But um, in soccer, you don't draft. In soccer, summer league, you don't draft. Soccer, you don't draft. Basketball, fall basketball, you actually had a draft and we, you picked the guys that you want on your team. So soccer came along and um, they hand you to your team. So they hand me my team. They handed me a good team. I had a really good soccer team. I don't know why they put all those guys on one team, but they put a lot of good players on the one team. And I looked it over, and guess whose name is on the list? This young man. I said, oh, I do not want him on my team. Because you see, I've already developed a, I already know. Don't want him on my team. But he's on my team. I, I can't get rid of him. He's, he's there. All right, we've got to do something with this. So we began to, to look at what we could do with this, this situation. And so I, he was skilled. He was a skilled basketball player. He was a skilled soccer player. He was just a skilled athlete. He could just do a lot of things. He's just one of those kind of guys. And so um, I spent some time with him. I actually pulled him aside and said, look, because he, he, was, he was very skilled, very fast, had a lot of endurance. I said, I'm going to create a position for you. And I said, in order for this to work, you have to do this. And I put some really heavy requirements on him. And he looked at me. I said, can you do it? And he said, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. And he did. He met every requirement I had. One of the things was, it was basically, he's back on defense. I said, but I want you on offense some. But I know if I, do, if I say that, I give you some leeway, and you go up and play offense, you will run your tail off to get back here and play defense. He says, I will, I will, I will, I'll, I'll do it. But he was a good defender. And he could score goals. So we did that. And his attitude changed. And my attitude towards him changed because I began to see something different on the inside of him. So that fall came time to draft. So I took this young man in my draft. But you see, he's a, if a first round, second round, third, he's first round talent in the draft that no one will touch because of his attitude, because he has a temper, because he's, uh, they'll consider him like a poison on the team and so forth. So no one would touch him. So I got him in the third round because I know nobody else wants to touch him, but I know I can connect with this guy. I can make him into a player. And so I, I did that. I drafted him in the third round. Everybody, I drafted him. He says, you don't know what you're getting. I've had him on my team. And I said, well, I had him on soccer. I know a little bit about it. I, I'm willing to take that. He said, well, good for you. And so <laughs> I took him on my team. And so I had my first round talent. I had my second round talent, and I had my third round talent, who's actually a first round talent. So we had a better team than probably would have otherwise. And we had a couple of episodes where his attitude uh, got a little out of hand. Pulled him aside, talked with him about it, and said, look, the refs are used to how you used to respond. You want to respond differently. And we, we kept coaching him up and talking to him. And um, his parents had numerous conversations with me along the line. And they said, you're the first person who believed in him. And we changed them. But you see, in order to do that, I had to change me. Because I was ready. You're no good. you got an attitude. you got a thing going on here. And I don't like it. But we were able to turn it around. And we were able to, to, to fix that up. See, don't just, don't just write people off. Sometimes people have an attitude because of something that's happened in their past. But you can draw something else out of them. 
I was trying to draw something else out of him. We were able to. You know, a few other times after the basketball season was over and um, he'd, I, I just, I would saw him. Actually, one time he sought me out, another time we just ran into each other. And he always came over, very friendly. So glad to have uh, made the acquaintance. And that was fun. It was good. But you see, you can draw something else out of people. But if you come in there, they make something racial, and you come back with something racial, guess what you're going to draw out of them? You can't change everybody. But again, you can do it your way or you can do it God's way. Which way is better? God's way. So I don't care what your race is. I don't care what your nationality is. I don't care what, you, what they're going to uh, pick on you for. Because there's all kinds of things they'll pick on you for. When I was in high school, they picked on me for being a Christian. Because it was very apparent I was a Christian. I made no bones about it. Carried a Bible around in school every day. And it did not go well for me on many days. But people will find a reason that they want to they pick on you. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. Get the understanding. Get it. However, in malice, be babes. So if you take offense because of what someone said, what did you do? Disobeyed the scripture. You went against it. If you went against it, you're in the realm of foolishness, not wisdom. Now, have you ever noticed that the Holy Spirit helps some people seemingly more than others? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, some people, it seems like the Holy Spirit is telling them everything. Holy Spirit told me to go over to this store and all they had a sale on, I would not have known about it. And I saved Oh, the Holy Spirit, he told me not to go this way into work. And don't you know, they had this huge pileup along that way. The Lord spared me. Or maybe I was supposed to be working in the towers on that day that the planes came, but the Spirit of God told me not to go. Why does he help out some people? And yet other people were in the building? Why is that? You see, some people learn to draw what's off what's on the inside of them more than others have. It's not that God's having favoritism. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, look at this. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. What does? The Spirit. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So who knows the things of God? The Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So what spirit have you received? The spirit from God. What does the spirit from God know? Knows the things of God. So the spirit that God gave you down on the inside of you, that spirit is what? The Spirit of God who knows the things of God is down on the inside of you. Now, how many know of you here know everything there is about God? Raise your hand. You don't? But it says that the Spirit of God who knows the things of God is in you. How is it that you could have the Spirit of God 
who knows all the things about God in you, but not know everything about God. How's that possible? Can you see the the problem here? If the Spirit of God knows everything about God, and that Spirit is on the inside of you, why don't you know everything that God knows? Because you see, that Spirit is like a deep well of water from which you need to draw out. And when you face a situation, you can react from your mind, you can react from your soul, you can react from your spirit, or you can drive deep down into the well that God put inside. God, how am I supposed to respond and draw off of that well? You see, just because Jesus is around the well, and just because there is water in the well, doesn't mean that Jesus has the water from the well yet, does it? But he's at the well. There's still water in the well. But he needed something to draw it out in order to get it. And so do we. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Your natural man can't pick these things up. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have what? The mind of Christ. But you've got to draw off of it. Just because you have it there doesn't mean that it automatically you're automatically connected to it. You've got to draw off of it. We can get more into the details of that, but let's move on here to Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of who? To speak evil of no one. That also includes people who spoke evil of you, doesn't it? That also means people who don't like your race, who don't like your Christianity, who don't like the neighborhood you live in, the car you drive, the place you work at, your politics, (laughs) whatever it might be. He said, speak evil of no one. That's the command from God, isn't it? To speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's where we came from. Don't go back into it. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. When he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Or some good advice that we're not, we're not getting into all the, all the details of it, but One time we used to walk around and we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, living in malice, as he put it, envy, hateful, hating one another. 
but we've got to get out of that. Now I want to take you over to a story that exemplifies some of this. It's a story that you all very well know. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. What did he want? His portion. But what did the father do? Divided it and gave the portion to both. Now, this is not in the text here at all. You will not find this anywhere in the Greek. But this is still true. When a household's goods are divided, it is not divided. If there are two kids, it is not divided in half. If there are four kids, it is not divided in quarters. How many have ever heard the double portion? All right. Double portion is this. It does not necessarily mean you get twice as much as everyone else. Though some people like to teach it that way. We'll take Israel, for example. Israel had how many? Twelve. The double portion falls to the oldest son. So what happens is, instead of dividing the, the house into twelve parts, you divide it into thirteen. And the oldest son gets two portions, which is a double portion. Not twice as much, two portions. Now, when you only have two sons, now you're dividing it into three. And so the proportional amount goes up a little bit more <laughs> in that type of a situation. But that's how they uh, did the double portion. I don't know that because I was Jewish in a past life or anything like that. <laughs> I know that because that's what they told me about, about the double portion. That's what's there. It's not double, though sometimes it may actually come close to that. But anyway, that's, uh, that's how it would be. So he would divide it into three parts. And, and who gets the double portion? The oldest son. So two-thirds of the, of the stuff stayed. One-third went off. He did not spend half of his father's fortune. He spent a third. Because that's how the double portion works. But who did he give the... The uh, portions too. Remember, this is a story that Jesus made up. He did it exactly, said it exactly the way he wants. He asked for his portion, but the Father gave the portions to them. So he divided up everything, and he said, "Young son, here's your part. Older son, here is your part." Sometimes we think that the reason Jesus picked the younger son is because he would be more immature. I think the reason he picked the younger son is because he had a smaller portion and the greater portion stayed back. That's just my thought. I have to wait to get to heaven to find out who's right. Not that it matters in the story. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeying to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. What a great job for a young Jewish boy. Then he would gladly have filled the stomach, his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. Now look at what he says. Remember, Jesus created this story. It's exactly the way he wants it to be. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This is what he's done. We've seen cases like this before in the word of God, and it seems like they just rehearsed it over and over. They rehearsed it. Went over. We saw it with Elijah. We saw it with others. I will arise. I will go to my father. This is what I'm going to say. The whole way over there, he's, he's thinking, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Have you ever done that? You're going to have a meeting with somebody. You're going to talk with somebody, and you rehearse it in your head over and over how you're going to say this. This is what he's doing. He's got it down. And he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Notice the father Denver leaves the place to go after him. He waits for the son to come home. That's a whole other thing. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. That also uh, comes in line with Jesus' three parables on that are called the lost parables. Anybody know what the three lost parables are? Sure you do. Yeah. Lost coin. Yeah, that's one of them. All right, you go back on on to their lost sheep. You know, the ones, the, the, the three. All three tell you, tell you what to do with a believer who has fallen away. But anyway, you'll notice that on two of those, they went and looked for it, and on one, they did not. Father does not leave. But when he had, was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to the father, now look, watch this. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Hmm. That's, that's all he said. Wasn't there more? What happened to the rest? Did he forget it? I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger or in his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now remember, Jesus created this story and even though it's in the story, make me like one of your hired servants, he never gets to utter it. Because the father cuts him off. He ends with this. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And at that, the father stopped it. And he calls over to the servants to get a robe. And begins to call for different things. And he says, for this, what? My son. What does he do immediately after the son says this? calls him my son. Look at his words. I am no longer worthy to be... He didn't say to be your son. He said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father does what? He calls him his son. I guess the father has a different viewpoint on that, doesn't he? He doesn't say I'm not worthy to be your son because he will always be his son. He said, I am not worthy to be called your son. And the father calls him his son. He never gets to 
get to the hired servant part. So here's, here's what we got with this. If you were the father, could you not have been offended? That all that you worked for was put to, uh, money was used on prodigal living. How many of you, if you were the father in this case, and you see this son come home after living this way, doesn't smell so good, doesn't look so good, not wearing the best clothes anymore. Here he comes up. How many of you could, how many of you could see this happening? Boy, you got anything to say to me? Did you finally see that your way was no good? I want an apology. We could say a lot of these different things, couldn't we? But yet the Father says none of this. Not a, not a single bit of it. Not trying to teach him lessons. He's just glad that he's home. This my son. He was dead. <laughs> but now he's alive. Now he's alive. Does the Father get offended? No. Does not. Now if the son... Think of, think of this in your, your own house. Put yourself in this situation. If you have a son who all he wants to do is get his money and get out of here, what do you think his view of the father and the family and the farm is? It's not real high, is it? Have you ever had a son or a daughter who just wanted to get out? Maybe they even say that. I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get away from you. And they say stuff like that. When, when they get to that point, how are they making life for you at home? Are they not saying things of malice to you? Can you ever think of a time when a son or a daughter wanted to leave with such urgency that they ask, I want my inheritance now. I'm not going to wait until you're dead. I want it now. Give me my part. And then I'm going to get out of here. Because it said not many days from now, after he asked for that, he left. Which means he felt like this was urgent. He's ready, he's ready to go. So probably some words of malice had exited his mouth about his father. Maybe even about his brother. Whatever it might be. But those things probably would have gone on. Because I cannot think of a single time when a son or a daughter wanted to leave with this much urgency. That they did not say some words along those lines. And probably the last words that were even said between the father and son. How many know they probably weren't great? It wasn't one of those things, Dad, I'm really going to miss you. Oh, man, I can't believe I'm leaving. Uh, I don't know how. You know, as soon as I can, as soon as I get there, I'll give you a call. This is not happening. I don't know if we ever thought about what's going on there, but it probably left with a little bit of hostility. And still, the father looked for him, for, for him to come home. And he comes home, instead of coming out there with bitterness, mm, my son, come on. Come on, let's go. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a party. You're home. Well, not everybody was happy about this. You all know about that, right? Now, when the son comes, when the son comes to himself and returns to the father, look at the things he made request of. He acknowledges his error. He accepts a lower place. He is humbled. Before the, he is humble before the Father. He doesn't claim a right. I have a right. I'm your son still. doesn't claim a right. 
But he asked the father to make him something that he was not. Make me a servant. These are the things that he's prepared to come in to do. So even though he had no money left, the father still sees him as a son. The father does not look to be right, but to restore. Don't always look to be right, folks. Look for restoration. Now here comes the other son. He comes in. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I, have, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. I have been, I never. And yet, you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, that's how I hear him saying it. As soon as this son of yours, not my brother, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him. All right. I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat. Now think about this back at the beginning of the story. What did the father give the younger son? His portion. What else did he do? Gave the elder, older son his double portion. Jesus doesn't say double portion because he's understood that's how it goes. He's talking to Jewish people. And Jewish people understand the older son gets the double portion. You never gave me a young goat. Now watch the father's response here. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. How is all that he has his? How is that? Because he gave it to him. How many Christians accuse God? You never gave me. You never did this for me. When God has given it to you already. We talked about that in the last series we were doing. People, Christians, are praying for things that God already gave them. That's ridiculous. Why are you asking God for something He already gave you? Because you don't know that He gave it to you. So all this time, He's thinking, boy, I would love to have a party with my friends. But I don't want to take my dad's young goat, fatted calf, kill it, make merry. No, I'm just going to keep on working. Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. The older son, he becomes angry. He wasn't angry before, but he becomes angry now because he finds out the son is in the house. And they probably had some words. I, when I ponder this, and I think of this kind of situation, I'm thinking the older son is the one who's up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Out there feeding the animals. And where's the younger son? 
Probably in bed. I'm not getting up at 4 o'clock feeding no animals. They can wait till 8. The older son is probably the one who's out under the sun getting the work done while the younger son says, I'm too hot, I have to go inside. This stuff was going on way before. And this older son, folks, he's got some bitterness that came up immediately as soon as that he heard that son was home. How many of y'all know if you had a brother in the house and he acted like this when he left, you're thinking, glory to God. Yes. I am free. This is all right. I like it. Mm. You see, accusations, folks, draw nothing good out. It didn't do any good for the father to accuse the younger son who came home. And it didn't do any good for the older son to accuse anyone either. Nothing good is drawn out of that. The brother, i put this in your outline for you. The brother looked at what the other brother had done. Isn't that right? What he did or didn't do. He wasn't faithful. He didn't do this. He spent your money. He lived this way. What I think is interesting is in that story, the brother never had one bit of contact with the, with the, uh, with the other brother, the younger brother. From the time he left, he had no contact. How does he know how he spent his money? The father might. He may have told him. He saw his condition. The other one, he has no idea. The father looked beyond that, the things that he had done, to who he was. He looked to who he was. You are my son. And you deserve a robe. I'm going to put a robe on you. you I'm going to put a ring on you. I'm going to kill the fatted calf. And I put this in your outline for you. Because of the bitterness, the brother judged all those around them and saw them at an inferior place than he was. This is what these wrong reactions will do. When you have anger, when you have bitterness, when you have resentment, when these things build up on the inside, you will look at everyone else around you. I can't believe that. I can't believe my father, who he thought enough of that he served him all these years. But he sees him do this. My father is wrong for doing this. My brother is wrong for what he did. The servants, you guys are wrong for having done all this. The only one who knows what's right around here is me. And the reason you get to that is because of anger, bitterness, resentment. All these things come in. You think back to some places you were at at work. When anger and resentment and such comes in, what happens? I am the only one that's right. Everyone else is wrong. Spiritual people can do this too. No, I had that happen to me with my, my a job I loved. Loved the job. I looked forward to getting up at four o'clock in the morning, climbing onto that truck, driving around, distributing Kelchner's horseradish products. Loved the job. Oh, couldn't wait for that. Couldn't wait for that. Started at four, four, four thirty in the morning sometimes. Didn't finish until eight, sometimes nine o'clock at night. And loved it. Couldn't wait to start the next day. <laughs> During the summer, I would do that schedule four days out of the week. 
and then come in on a Friday and do maybe a half a day. Half a day for me was an eight-hour day. I'd start uh, in the morning, and I'd be off by the afternoon, and then I could pick up doing some other things and uh, did, did some stuff around church. But that was, that was normal, and I loved it. Loved every moment of it. Couldn't wait to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, hop onto that truck, and drive on out there and sell stuff. I'm going to sell more this week than I sold last week. I'm going to sell more this year than I sold last year. And I knew how much I sold last year. No one had to tell me. I wrote it down because I'm going to beat it. Look forward to it. Couldn't wait. But I tell you what, something began to work in me because, you see, we had one person who ordered all of our stuff. The boss ordered everything. And there are many times, many times, that our supplies dwindled and I didn't have a particular product to sell. And it hit everything. It hit sometimes even the Kelchner line as well as the products that we distributed. And there wasn't anything there. How am I supposed to go down to these people who do an incredible amount of business every week? I don't have any of your stuff. If I keep showing up and not having their stuff, they're going to find their things from other people and my sales begin to go down. And I distinctly remember, even though it was decades ago, distinctly remember being in that truck, loading it up, and we were out of several things. And I was talking to the other sales guy who did the local runs. And we vented. Can't believe that they are not bringing this stuff in. Oh. What is wrong with Hank? Why can't he order this stuff like when we need, we need it? How does he expect us to sell what we don't have? And how can we get people to depend on us? And we're just going on. We're just having a time. And anger and bitterness was rising up on the inside of me. Why? Because I'm wrong. And do you know who came around the corner? My boss. <clears throat> you feel every bit of the wrongness of those words. Every bit of it. And I did. Went out and I sold the stuff and I came back and walked into his office and says, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't let that come out. I'm, just, I'm really feeling frustrated because I think we're going to lose some stuff if we don't, we don't get some things. And so um, he said, I accept, uh, accept that. He says, I'm, I know I'm, I'm just busy with a lot of different things. I'm not getting all the, the ordering done that I need to do. And you know, I apologize for that. It is on me to do. And so we had a little sit-down time getting that straightened out. So I said to him, I says, look, if it will help you out, I will order those products. I can take that, that job on. I'll order the products for you. And he said, well, that'd be great, except for the fact that you don't know how much money we have to spend. And if you overdo our orders, then I don't have money to spend on the other things. You can really tie us up. I said, ah, I understand that. I have no idea what, how much money you have on hand to be able to spend. It makes perfect sense to me. Tell you what, how about if I do this? I'll make up the orders for you. And you call them in. And he said, that'll work. We can do that. So from that point on, I made up all the orders. for. I took inventory. I kept an eye on it. When we got low on something, I submitted to him. We need some more of this. We need some more of that. And then he took in. And then I would actually write up the order. We need this, 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 and this. And I'd, he'd look at the order. And then he'd, he would phone it in. That lasted for about three weeks. And he said, Steve, you got a handle on this. 
just go ahead and call the orders in. So I began to call the orders in, and he didn't have to mess with it all, and we no longer were running out of supplies. We always had what we needed to, to do. But it had a, another effect. My production manager came to me about a month later, and he says, I have to thank you. He said, I have been bottlenecked so many times because I don't have caps, I don't have jars, I don't have PCP cups, I don't have labels, I don't have this, because he wants to order everything, and he doesn't get it ordered. And so often I'm trying to balance what we only have so many jars. What do we need to, to bottle up until I can get some more? And he said, he turned the whole thing over to me. And now I get to order all the stuff that I need. He says, I just want to thank you. It wouldn't have happened if you hadn't started this thing off. But you see, first thing I had to do was I had to humble myself because I was wrong. He may have been wrong too. I don't know. I wasn't my part. My part was I let bitterness, I let anger get in and words came out. Now, here's the thing, folks. When you have bitterness and you have anger and you have words coming out, I will tell you without even looking at your life, I will tell you exactly what your life is devoid of. Joy. You cannot maintain bitterness, anger, resentment, and maintain joy. You cannot do it. Either you have joy or you have bitterness, anger, and resentment, and so forth. That's it. Because joy pushes this out and these push that out. Can't have both. Remember the scripture we looked at last time? I put it in the beginning of the outline. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with what? All joy and peace in believing. All joy and peace in believing. Folks, faith has as its... It's an offshoot of it. If you are in faith, you are in joy. If you are in faith... You are in joy. If there's no joy, there's no faith. That's just, that's how it goes. It's in the Word of God. So how will you choose to react? See, I can be bitter to the counsel of God. When the Word of God tells me, do something a certain way, I can become bitter. I can be bitter to the counsel of others when other people come to me and tell me, don't do it that way, do it this way. I can become bitter. I can become resentful. I can become angered. I can become bitter to the reactions of others. But then I will have no joy. If you want to find out how you do with the reactions of others, let me ask you this question. How many people have never worked retail? Retail. Never worked retail. Never, now retail, I mean in a retail store, in a uh, uh, restaurant, um, anywhere where you're dealing with the never did, never did. All right, you folks have absolutely no idea about the reactions of people. No idea at all. Because it's in the retail area that you see the true dark side of people and the things they can say and do. That's where you can see it. How many people work retail will tell me, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I saw it in the pizza industry. I saw it in a couple other places that I had, I had worked at. Uh, so that's one of the things I loved about Kelsner's Horseradish, working for them. I dealt with business people. Business people are not normal people. They are not. They handle things completely differently. So differently. Oh, they are joy to work with outside of retail. 
But if you are working in the retail area and all these people are coming, you're having an opportunity to maintain joy even when you're having these folks around. I put in your outline this. Don't walk in anything that is not joy. Don't do it. If it's not joy, don't walk in it. It's going to hurt you. First Peter verse 8 of chapter 1. Now, or therefore now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You see, when the believing comes, if we believe that Jesus Christ is coming, what, what does it fill us up with? Joy. joy. If you have faith that believes something, you will have joy. If you don't have faith that believes something, you won't have joy. And we're going to be getting more into this as we, we get along. How do I pull that stuff out? How did people pull healings out of Jesus? It was down in there, wasn't it? How did they pull it out? Through faith. How did the other miracles get pulled out of Jesus? The woman who touched the hem of his garment. How did she get that healing? It was in Jesus, right? How did it come out? Woman, great is your faith. The centurion, how did he get healed, healing for his servant? I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. And if you want to know if you are in faith or not, is there joy? Is there joy? Got to be some joy going on. Walk in the joy. That's where we need to be. Glory to God. Brother Nikolai, come on up. Glory to God. You see, there are going to be some things that are going to go on in your life that are going to try and pull you out. They're going to try and ignite the bitterness, the anger, the fear, the resentment. They're going to try and pull you out. If they get you out of the area of faith, and your joy goes, and you're no longer accessing the things that are down on the inside of you. We haven't spent a whole lot of time yet on the stuff that's down on the inside of us, but we will. we got time. Jesus isn't coming back tomorrow. We got, some, we got some time. He's coming back. I just don't think it's going to be tomorrow. <laughs> so we got, some, we got some time to go on. But you see, there are things that are going to go on in your life. Go ahead and play, play whatever, you, whatever you want to. There's some things that are going to go on and that can go on in your life that will try and pull you out of it. As we're here worshiping a bit this morning, there's some things that can see for, for some of you that, that, can, that can hinder this. There are some things that for Lamar and Mandy, just some things that are facing in the future. There's some words, there's some situations that can come up that will try and, and stir up fear and uncertainty. Yeah, but don't let it. You see that fear and uncertainty? It's going to pull the joy out which means it gets you out of faith and believing. Stay in the faith and believing area. Oh, stay. Let that joy keep coming out. If you ever wonder, are these words, are these situations, whatever it is that's there, is it getting to us? Where's the joy? If the joy's there, glory to God, we're doing all right. If it's not, then don't. Chelsea, there's some condemning words, and I don't know if they're from external sources or if they're from things that are just coming to you on the inside that are giving you a less than flowery picture of what's ahead. Don't listen. 
Look at the joy. It's pulling the joy out of your life. <laughs> That's not faith. Don't question whether the source is God or not. Because God gives you things that increase our joy. <laughs> Glory to God. Brother Ray, there are some things that you face that seem to get the better of you. But simply do this. Go back to the things that you used to do on a regular basis that kept your faith and believing up. And the joy will be as strong as it was. But you'll be put on the path for it to be even stronger. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Jackie, there are some words that come up on the inside. There are some things that God even speaks to you. And sometimes people that are around you make you think like those things aren't very valuable, aren't very important. But God's speaking them to you. Treat what God speaks to you as valuable, regardless of what others around may say. Don't, don't let them devalue them. Don't let them get you into a place of fear or uncertainty or maybe it's not worth worthwhile because sometimes it'll keep you from speaking out some of those things that God has given you and that would be a shame God gave it to us oh glory to God is for a good good thing hallelujah hallelujah brother Nikolai stir up that well on the inside of you now because there are some things coming down the pike that that's not scary things but it's things in which you need to be able to draw off of them. That well needs to be there. Do the things to, to stir it up, to get it prepared, to get it ready. And when you hit those things, be smooth. It will be, it will be easy to do. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Brother Francis, there's some things... Still out in front of you. Haven't quite gotten to yet. And don't lose hope that you're ever going to get to them. But get ready for them. Don't wait for them to arrive. Do the things you know to do to build up that inner man. And trust that when God gives you a direction and it says, do this, it has to do with those things that are on the inside of you. Even though it makes absolutely no sense why they would. But do them. And you'll see, as you look back on it, you'll see how all those things were, were a part of the peace. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we give you the praise and the glory for it. Hallelujah. 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 Brother Bobby, then on the inside, there's a clinging still to things on the outside to confirm what you hear on the inside. Don't wait for the things on the outside. Do the dance of joy with what God speaks to you on the inside before you ever see anything on the outside. 
Oh, it'll be good. <laughs> Don't wait for the external. Go with what you got on the inside. Even though it might not seem big, little, just go with it. Because as you fan the flame on those little things, the bigger ones are going to be coming. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Would you all stand up? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Uh-huh. Glory to God. Brother Corey, some of the things that look like obstacles in your life are not. They're very well disguised. And they look like insurmountable obstacles at times. But they're not. They are merely a stepping stone. And as long as the enemy can convince you that what you're facing is insurmountable and you don't attack it and you don't go after it, then it will always be. But there is more in you than you know. And I don't just mean that because, well, God's in you and God is greater. There is more in you right now than you are actively walking in because you don't know. It's all right. Just walk in the knowledge of it. Ah, this is in me. This is in me. And step out on it. And just like Peter stepped out on the water <laughs> and the water held him up. Glory to God. Father, I thank you that you love us, that you care for us, and that you speak to us. I thank you, Father, that when we are in faith and believing, there is joy, unspeakable joy that we can't make sense of, joy in us, oh, no matter what obstacles we face. Because the obstacles cannot take away the joy that comes from true faith. Help us, Father, to rid ourselves of all resentment, bitterness, anger, uncertainty, whatever it might be that creeps up into our life. And I thank you, Father, for what we walk in. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do we have any praise reports? Anybody? Okay. I didn't. Um, I didn't have any before the service, but I, sometimes they're coming in as we as we go along. Well, this week, uh, Wednesday night. Uh, yeah, I won't be here for for the Wednesday night service. Um, I told some of the folks, in order to, you know, most holiday weekends we don't get to go anywhere because. Well, it's a weekend. <laughs> we don't get to do that. So what we're doing here today outside of the holiday weekend is uh, we're, we're leaving today and we're heading on down to, uh, if anyone has hung up with my, my younger daughter, you already know because she's telling it, telling it to every single person that she possibly can. We're heading out to Ocean City, Maryland, and we're going to spend just a couple of days out there. We'll be back on Wednesday. But Brother Jolly is going to be teaching in the midweek service. He's always got so much that he wants to, to put out and uh, give him an opportunity there to, to do that. So that's going to be on on Wednesday, he's going to be ministering for the 7:30 service on on Wednesday, and we will be down in sunny Maryland. Glory to God, <laughs> and having some having some fun out there, and then we're back on on Wednesday for for all that. Next Sunday, we're going to be picking up this topic again some more. 
Uh, still a lot more. Boy, I tell you what, the more I meditate on this, the more that there is to, to see in, in this. But again, we're going after two areas. I want you to be able to pull out of other people the good that is in them instead of the bad. I want you to be able to pull out the good. You can't do it for everybody. There are some people who just shut it down. They, you can't do it. They have to be willing to let you pull it out. And then beside that, there's good inside of you. The, the Spirit of God is down the inside of you. How do you pull out all the things that are in that Spirit of God on the inside of you? And uh, I've told you about my greatest study tool in, that I have. And I got a lot of different books and a lot of different, got a lot of money invested in books to, to help me out to break things down and understand things. And love those Greek helps that I got. But the greatest thing is getting down on my knees and praying in the Holy Spirit. Don't forsake that. Word of God says, stir up yourselves. Got to stir it up. I wanted to mention this before to you, but uh, this week, sometimes we can get away from, from just praying in the Spirit. But this week, I want you all to make a, a concerted effort that every day, every day, somewhere along those line of stage, pray in the Spirit for at least 15 minutes. Now, once you hit 15 minutes, you can keep going. You can do 15 minutes twice a day. Whatever you want to do. But at least do that. Stir it up on the inside of you. Sometimes we can get away from that. You don't want to, you don't want to do that. Alexis has the praise report. I want, to get, I want to get my car fixed after hearing a strange clicking noise. Well, that's normal. Yeah. Strange clicking noises. Totally. The dealer was able to find the problem and, and it was free to fix. Wow. At a dealer. At a dealer. Usually it's three times what it would cost to fix at the dealer. <laughs> Glory to God. All right. Well, you all have a great week. Bless some people before you go. And we will see. And, and for all you folks who came out here on Friday, I'll tell you what, we had a good time. Friday night, paint night, it was, it was fun. Uh, we do that again. You didn't come out, you're going to want to do it. I've never really painted anything that I can think of outside of, you know, grade school and stuff like that. You paint the watercolors and stuff, and we all had fun. It was, it was good. You had all the stuff that you needed right there, and, and we had a good time of fellowship and then showing each other our works of art at the end. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. We appreciate Alyssa putting all that together, and the other, other folks, my wife and, and her, were also put up a lot of food together, and I'm not sure if other people did as well, but I know you two did a whole whole lot of that was going on and it was it was just fun so when you see that come up again don't miss out on it it was a it was a really good night